0: Our text this morning is found in that psalm that we read a little earlier, and verses 23 to 32. And as we continue in this period of mourning following the deeply saddening death of Queen Elizabeth II, we do indeed continue to give thanks to God for her. And uh, last week, some of you will know that we said how much she had impacted not only our nation, but across the world. And that will be seen certainly tomorrow in the amount of world leaders who will attend that funeral. She undertook her role with such dignity and grace, faithfulness and care. And I think the five mile queue is testimony really to the way in which she commanded the respect and the affection, uh, the quality of her character and the genuine interest that she took in the lives of people throughout her reign. It's also been interesting to hear of the way in which she took particular interest in certain gospel works over the years. Last time I spoke of her personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, something which has become evident and increasingly so during the past week, and she knew that there was a king above her, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. And she sought to serve in the way that she did because she knew the one who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And she served in that dependence upon him. In fact, she said, I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers, but to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. One of the ways that she communicated so well was through the Christmas messages. And uh, looking over them, I noticed just how often she spoke of How life is full of trouble, that there are many storms that come to us in our lives, and how she would speak then of the strength that she found in the Christian gospel, the Lord Jesus. For example, in 2000, she said, to many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. In 2002, she said, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. The only way to live my life is to try to give my best in all that the day brings, to put my trust God, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. In 2014, she said, for me, The life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor of my life. And so thinking of those images that she used and the way in which she spoke, it's clear that the queen knew something of the truth of Job 5 verse 7, which says, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And she saw the need to turn to the Lord for strength, She knew that life was full of storms and she faced a fair few herself in her lifetime. But it's that foundation that we need. And in all that has been or will be so eloquently said of her, I think that's one of her most striking legacies. She underlined the need for a savior, for a deliverer, for an anchor in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible is very clear. It tells us that we are, in fact, in desperate need because of our sin and rebellion against the the true sovereign over all, God. And yet in his mercy, God has provided his own son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior that we need. And through his perfect life, his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, the king of kings accomplished all that was necessary to save his people from their sins. And when we're enabled to believe in him by grace, not only does he save us, but he keeps us through life, through death, and into eternity. It is Christ alone who is our only hope in life and in death. And so I want you to see that this morning in our text. And so if you look at those verses, we see that we're given this great picture of a terrible storm. And really, as we read the psalm together, maybe you saw the way the psalmist uses different pictures of what it means to be unsaved, to be lost, to be without hope, unable to do anything to change that. And so he speaks of a wilderness, he speaks of a prison, of being in bondage to sin, he speaks of a sickbed, sin as a, a spiritual sickness and disease, and now he pictures this terrible storm. Look at verse 25, it says, For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. It's such a powerful image. This little boat in the midst of a a raging sea, it's in trouble. It's being thrown around, it's being beaten and battered by raging winds and howling waves. And then if you look at verse 26, that verse speaks not just of the waves, but of the people. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. Now some of you have been in storms like that, and anybody who has been in storm at sea, as some of you have, know exactly what that means. You're lifted up by a massive wave to the heavens, and then you're brought right back down again to the depths, and really it's a terrifying situation to be in. And it's no surprise to find such a fierce storm causes the souls of these people to melt because of trouble. They're in great fear and distress at the mercy of these mighty ways they don't know what to do. And then in verse 27, the picture says they, they reel to and through. They, they, they stagger like a drunken man. They're at their wit's end. They're not literally drunk. Rather, the storm is throwing them around so much they can't balance. And so they're staggering around the ship because of the the billows that are battering against them. And they're at their wit's end. They don't know what to do. They've tried all they can to deliver themselves. All the possibilities have been exhausted. And there they are, hopeless and caught in this storm. They're far from safety. And it seems really that the only outcome is going to be Disaster. But then in that darkest of moments at the very height of the storm, this, verses 28 to 30. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Really, that is a stunning declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so even though the the psalmist has been talking about true events, his whole purpose in writing is clear. He is delivering a message of hope and salvation. And his point being that whatever trouble, whatever distress, whatever predicament or position, if we genuinely cry out to the Lord, he is able to deliver us. You know, Mark 4 in the New Testament has a similar situation. Jesus We looked at this at the men's breakfast yesterday morning. He was in a boat with the disciples and uh, he was asleep. And then this great storm arises and such is the danger. The disciples think they're going to die. And they wake him up and they say to him, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. It's a true event, and yet it's also a wonderful picture of the gospel. Now, I want you to think for a moment this morning on the fact that life is like a voyage. And indeed, the psalmist, he sin bringing turmoil and trouble and sadness and grief to our lives. And the psalmist describes men and women battling with the storms of life. And the Bible often uses this picture to help us understand the gospel and life as it really is. And so it speaks of life as a voyage. And so when we're born, our life in this world begins on its course. And you know, at the first, the sea of life, it seems inviting. You know, there's, there's so much before us. Others are making this voyage too. And then in those years of youth, there's a sense of invincibility. You know, we may have heard of other people in the past who you know, run into storms and trouble in the sea, but, you know, really, we think that we can get through, that we'll be okay. And not only that, but we believe that as things advance with technology, etc., cetera, we're better equipped than ever to progress. But we don't have to be on the voyage for very long before the realization hits us that the sea isn't calm, that the sea isn't smooth. But there are ripples, there are disturbances and much more reality hits and we are faced with the fact that life is full of trouble. And unlike the world which tells us, you know, all's going to be smooth, in spite of the obvious trouble all around, the storms in our individual lives and on the wider scene, the world still thinks it can all just be sorted out for the better. But that is based on the ignorance of the fundamental issue that each one of us faces, and that's our sin. And so here we are in this situation and the Bible tells it like it is, tells it with a striking honesty, life is full of trouble, life is a stormy sea and friends, just look around you and you can see it for yourself. In fact, just look through history, you see it. Life is full of storms that quickly engulf us. We don't want to hear it, but it's true. But why? Well, the Bible says that the the cause of this trouble is sin, the consequences of man's rebellion and disobedience against God. Sin has ruined everything, and it ruins us. And people, they try and explain it away, but the Scriptures are direct. The trouble is our rejection of God, our sin, our disobedience, our disregard of Him. And so the storms of this life are consequences of this. And in one sense, the storms are his justice, his holiness. He commands and raises the stormy wind. And you say, well, what are these storms of life? Well, let me give you some examples of the waves that come crashing against us. Storms from within and without. Think of the turmoil of those things within. There are storms of passion and self-will. You know, have you seen people overtaken with passion? Maybe anger or temper. And then you've got waves of other type of passion, lust, which drives people along. And your your vessel is suddenly overcome. You know, you see it in little ones, don't you? How quickly they rebel against their parents and want to do what they've been told not to do. And very quickly that can whip up into a storm of great temper. The rising of the waves, and both parent and child are gripped in it. It seems to rise from nowhere, and then suddenly they're hit. Or you think of temptation, you know, we can be going along calmly, you know, maybe pursuing what we think are good things, and then in that calm, suddenly a wave of temptation crashes over us, and before we know it, we're in some whirlwind of trouble. That's just the way it is. These storms come when we least expect. And then there are trials and troubles from within and without. You know, you're trying to keep your ship on course, as it were, but then some wave of trouble comes and crashes in to throw you around, and all of a sudden, down you go. Maybe suddenly you're taken ill. Maybe grief sweeps in with unexpected loss, and you're left wondering what's going to happen next. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're concerned about your finances, money. Maybe someone's let you down or betrayed you, or there's trouble in your family, or someone you trusted has just walked away from you. And storms suddenly engulf you, and life is full of trouble. And then there are the massive things that are happening in our nation, in the world. You know, you think of the the death of the queen, that consistent reign for 70 years. You know, some of us have never known any different. Faithful, gracious, constant, now gone to the king of kings. The outpouring of grief and then the unknown of how things are going to be with the new king. What's going to follow? Look at what's happening in mainland Europe, the ongoing struggle. Who would have thought that things would have developed there as they have? All the consequences of that in terms of suffering and unrest and movement of people, concern over the way in which that filters out into energy costs and food shortages and economic upheaval, the billows rising, shaking and rocking people and nations. And yet still people don't want to think but storms engulf us. We're on a stormy sea at home and abroad. You know, who do people listen to? Is it the apparent great thinkers, the social influencers? What answers have they got? None. The great storms of life within, without, close to us, on the greater scale. And here we are in the midst, being thrown around by the waves. Can you see the accuracy of the picture of Psalm 107? But then when you put these things together... There's something else that he says. You know, it can lead to feeling when we're in these storms that we're just at the mercy of life. You know, we're just being carried along and thrown around by things which are outside of our control. We're at the mercy of the waves and the billows. You know, there are many who don't agree with this. You talk to people and they like to think that they're, they're masters of their own destiny, captains of their own souls. Sounds noble, It's just not true. We can't stop the trouble, we can't calm the sea, we can't get to a safe haven. Yes, we can try and keep calm and carry on, we can try and be resolute, be strong, but it doesn't alter the fact that we have no control over those storms that come. And the Bible tells us that this is what sin always leads to, as one explains, we don't master life, life masters us. We're not in control, we're being controlled by other forces and factors within us, outside us, buffeted and battered. And when all this crashes over us, there are times when we we just feel overwhelmed, We, we can't balance, we lose grip, we're at our wit's end. And so sometimes you have the smaller waves which knock you off course a little bit, but then a massive wave comes and breaks over. We lose all bearings where we are, where we're going. And the Bible says that faced with life as it really is, all of man's wisdom is useless. We're at our wits end. And in the picture, you know, that we have in the psalm, they did everything they could, nothing they thought of helped. You know, making the ship lighter, altering the sails, changing course, no help. And the scriptures say that as a result of sin, even the greatest thinkers, even the greatest minds, the great and the good, they do their best to get control of the ship, to set it right, makes no difference. Why? They don't understand the main issue. They can't diagnose the true problem, so all their schemes lead to nothing. The storms still rage as much as they ever did. So the soul of men becomes melted in trouble. The average person senses that things are difficult, that life is hard, that things are heading in a certain direction and it's not good. So is there any hope? Well, thank God there is. And the psalmist says it again and again throughout this psalm. Look at verse 28. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. They're on the point of sinking. There's no sign of the harbor. There's no sign of the haven. The world is like that and the people in it, they don't know where they are, but then there are certain people who cry out to the Lord and he delivers them out of their distresses. Do you know, that's the whole message of Christianity. The coming of the Son of God into the world. You know, you think on this picture, this little ship, helpless, about to go down. All hope seems to be gone. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, miraculously, the pilot steps on board. Okay, like the the master mariner with years of experience in guiding ships in and out of a specific port. And immediately all is changed. Verses 29 to 30, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. It is this wonderful, simple truth, the testimony of the believer, God intervening, God rescuing, God delivering, and all of his grace. You know, why didn't God just cast the world off in its rebellion? You know, it's sinned against him. It's reaping the consequence of that rebellion. Why should he look upon it? Well, here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sends his only son to rescue and deliver. And then for the ones delivered, there is a calm. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ always does. You know, when you're brought to know him, when you're brought to meet him and trust him, when you know that you've been rescued and forgiven, you are aware of a calm. Matthew 11, come to me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And how does he do it? Well, the moment in your distress, in your agony, in your trouble, the moment you turn to him and trust him, you see all that you face differently. The troubles are still there. But he is with you. And it's wonderful that he is. He knows. He understands. He has the power and ability to bring you through. And when in the midst of life you feel you're about to sink, and then you're brought to meet Christ, you feel at once that here is somebody who knows, who understands, somebody who has faced the severest storm, the storm at its most desperate with all the billows of hell coming against him, but he went through them all and came to the haven successfully. He has stepped into our lives. He is in control. He masters life. He knows what he's doing. And that perfect, complete, full salvation accomplished by the Savior, everything necessary to save you and me. And he is able to get rid of our guilt, to blot out our sin, to reconcile us to God, to give us new life, to make us children of God, everything necessary. He has done And there is nothing left for you to do except to turn from your sin and cry out to him and believe in him to be saved by grace alone, to cry out to the Lord in our distress and know that he has done everything that is needed to be done. And you say, well, you know, when I think about my past, it troubles me. You know, I can't get rid of those waves which have have crashed in from behind me in the past. The Savior says, don't fear. My death on the cross has dealt with your sin in the past. I paid the price. I stood in your place as your substitute. Your past is blotted out. It is covered in my blood. It is forgiven. He said, well, well, what about the present and the future? How can I live in the present when the, the waves are crashing in on me? What about future storms? Surely I'll go down then. The Savior says, I have dealt with your sin. In the present and the future, in all you face, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know, is that not what he does? doesn't matter what direction the storm comes from. It doesn't matter where the billows rise. When he is on board, there is calm. You know, the Old Testament says in the midst of the storm, when everything seems to be breaking apart, when the foundation seems to have gone underneath of the everlasting arm." And his hold never fails. He holds us fast. We are secure in Christ, and that gives rise to quietness of soul. We're in his hand. There's great comfort in that. That's where the hope is. He is the all-sufficient Savior in every storm, in every situation, and we can trust him. And he has a quiet and peace within. He knows that he is right with God. And therefore, whatever happens in this world, the believer is right eternally. It says, then they are glad because they are quiet. There is a peace with the Savior. And then, as we draw it together, verse 30, he guides them to their desired heaven. You know, what of the future? Where are you headed? In Christ, we are forgiven. We are made right with God. We are given new life, new direction new purpose we are given to understand that this book the bible is the word of god that it is essential to our passage through this world this rich treasury of truth the means by which we chart our course knowing where to go knowing where not to go how to steer a right and steady course And I go on that straight path, and he is with me. He will not leave me. I am his. He holds me. He fills me with his spirit, and he will keep his hand upon me until he has brought me to that eternal, glorious harbor of safety and rest forever. Think of Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. He is going to do it. And not one of his people will be lost. All will be brought to their desired haven. And what is that? To be with him. To be in glory. Sinners saved by grace, delivered, brought home, to be with the Lord forever and to enjoy the glory to come. Heaven, the new heavens, the new earth where there is no sin, And no pain, and no suffering, and no tears when the storms are forever gone and there is eternal calm. It's a wonderful thing to know this Savior. And when we do as these sailors, we will know this. Then they are glad because they are quiet. They have a quiet confidence in the Lord Jesus. That's the characteristic of the true believer. It doesn't mean that things won't go wrong. It doesn't mean that storms won't come but it does mean that they know they'll never face that hopeless desperation ever again because he is with them even in the very darkest moments they know that christ is there and all is well you know it's to be able to say when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say It is well. It is well with my soul. Do you know, there are no empty words. You know, maybe if you're not familiar with hymns and certainly this hymn, sometimes you think, well, you know, it's a nice piece of writing, but did the person writing really know what they were saying? Well, of course, they did. Horatio Gates Spafford wrote this hymn. He was a successful Chicago lawyer in around 1870. He had every reason to be thankful. He Knew the Lord, he was a supporter and friend of a famous man preacher called D.L. Moody. He Gave very generously to mission. Then in 1871, his four-year-old son died. And while struggling with this personal tragedy, the great Chicago fire happened and it reduced all his property investments, all his financial security to ashes. He was left with practically nothing. What remained was then seriously devalued in a great financial downturn that followed. To give the family time and space to recover, Horatio made plans for him, his wife, and four daughters to go over to see D.L. Moody who was preaching in Europe. And so they boarded the SS Ville de Havre in November 1873, but just as he was about to get on the ship, uh, business emergency meant that Horatio had to stay in Chicago while the family went on ahead. And in the mid-Atlantic, the ship that his family were on smashed into another ship and sank in 12 minutes with the loss of 226 of the 307 passengers and crew. Several days later, Spafford received a a telegram for his wife in Wales, Anna, Two words, saved alone. All four of their daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and a little baby, Tanetta, torn from her mother's arms by the force of water, were lost. Horatio immediately set off for Wales to bring his wife home. They were fearful that she might try and take her own life. And on the crossing to Wales, the ship's captain called. Horatio to the bridge and told him a careful reckoning has been made and I believe we're now going past the place where the ship was wrecked and your daughter's died." He returned to his cabin and that night he wrote the words which became the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And he wrote in his diary, we passed over the spot where the ship went down in mid-ocean The water's three miles deep, but I don't think of my dear ones there. They're safe. They're with the Saviour. Eventually, Horatio and Anna would return to Chicago in 1876. They had a son. He would also be called Horatio, but he would die from scarlet fever aged only four. But they would have two further daughters, Berta and Grace, And you know, all the way through all of those storms, all of that tragedy, they would testify that the Lord is good. They knew that Christ was with them in the midst. They knew that gladness and quietness in the Lord. You see, these things, friends, it's not theory, it's not just nice thoughts, it's reality. And so I asked you this morning, do you have that sure help in this life of trouble? Is your life built on the rock? Do you know this one who delivers and keeps his people through the storms of life in this sin-sick world? Do you have hope? To be without Christ is to be without hope. And if you don't know this morning and you're afraid, and you feel that you're in desperate need, then it's really simple. You cry out to him, and he'll hear you. You call upon his name, and you believe that his son is the only one who can save you from sin and death and hell, and he will hear you. And our God is a God who hears the cry of the distressed. And so ask him, turn from your sin and ask him, cry out to him, and there is plenteous grace Grace to cover all your sin. And he will save you and he will keep you. He's a wonderful God who loved us and loves us so much that in spite of our sin and foolishness and shame, he sent his own son to deliver us and to bring us to the eternal haven. Christ alone, our hope in the storms of life and death. Do you know him? I pray that you would. And I pray that as we stand to sing this last hymn, you'll be able to sing it with meaning and knowing it for yourself, that it is well with your soul. Amen.